Thank you. You may be seated. I would like to add to the welcomes that you've hopefully gotten several times already to the Capitol Church. I'm Dwight Peterson, also one of the uh, pastors like Kyle. And I want to begin by asking you to think about a time in your life, maybe it's right now, maybe you're going through that, maybe it's from your past, where there was somebody in your life that was trying really hard to get you to do something that you just had a hard time understanding or seeing any value to it at all. It seemed to be super important to them. And they were very passionate about it. Maybe it's information that they kept telling you you need to uh, get, like a subject in school. I, uh, Bonnie and I had very few um, rules in our home related to academics. The one we did is uh, foreign language. We thought that was important. And I remember one of my sons, uh, he was uh, taking Spanish, and he said, suppose I uh, end up living in a French-speaking country, then what's the point of all this? And I said, well, then you would know English, Spanish, and French, which means you'd basically be able to speak to anybody in the world. That would be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> But trying to convince, or maybe it's a skill that somebody felt you needed to develop and you just struggled to figure out why, is, why are they putting this pressure on me? I thought about that as a coach for many years, trying to help uh, players you know, buy into uh, doing a drill properly or maybe conditioning. My son-in-law played uh, high school basketball for me as his coach and he likes to tell stories about uh, practice. He tells a story about he and his buddy who had late practice one day and they all decided uh, to go to get some pizza and they loaded up on pizza and eggnog. That's the interesting thing about the story. I never quite knew why eggnog was significant. Maybe there's something connected to pizza that I'm not aware of. But then one of the guys kind of said, oh no, and they all looked at each other like, hey, what's the problem? And they're like, We've got practice in like 45 minutes, and practices uh, are hard. He also tells the story of playing in a game, and it went into overtime. He was just reminding me of this when I was with him recently, and he said, I remember walking to the bench for get ready for overtime and looking at the other uh, team and them grabbing their shorts and all that kind of stuff, and he said, that was the moment I thought to myself, now I get it. Now I get it. It's likely that some of you in this room, at least at some time, probably all of us, have been in that situation as it relates to the Bible. Maybe you're somebody here today that you want to read it more and understand it more, but you struggle to find the motivation and the discipline to do it on a regular basis or Maybe you've become interested in the teachings of Jesus and you've considered pursuing a better understanding of uh, him and what he taught and are considering the Bible. Or maybe you have somebody in your life who's been encouraging you to read the Bible, to come to church, to hear about the Bible, and you've kind of wondered what all the fuss is about the Bible. Why is this so important to people? 
What I want to do today is I want to take you to a passage of Scripture where the author, James, talks to us about the Bible, and what he does is he wants people to not only read the Bible, but to understand that it's not just about reading the Bible, it's also about taking the step to actually put into practice what it is that we're reading. He wants these people that he's writing to to understand and be motivated to say to themselves, okay, first, I want to be motivated and going to make the motivation to actually read my Bible, but I'm going to take that next step, and what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to begin to put the Bible into practice. And what he does is he challenges them about what he wants them to do, and then what he does is he gives two illustrations. He gives an illustration of what he calls a listener, and he gives an illustration of what he calls a doer. And what he's calling them to is saying, I don't want you to be a listener. What I want you to be is a doer. And then at the very end, he says, now here's why. And I want to walk you through this and help you with this. And open your Bibles to the book of James. If you're new to the Bible, as all of us were at one time, it's towards the very back of your Bible. If you get to a book called Revelation, then just go back to the left a little bit and uh, you'll find it. It's a very small book. There's also, and you should not be afraid to use it, a table of contents if you have a hard copy of the Bible uh, where you can find it. And here's what he says in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says this. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself. So what he's saying is, he's saying, first of all, I don't want you to just listen to the Bible. Now, he's not saying anything wrong about listening. He's not saying that's wrong. He's simply saying that I don't want you to just listen to the Bible. What I want you to do is take that step to actually make changes in your life. He's actually emphasizing listening. He's actually saying listening is a good thing. In fact, there are many people who don't do that. There would be people who don't read the Bible. It's interesting for me sometimes to interact with people who have an opinion about following Jesus, and they'll talk to me about the Bible and only to discover that they've not actually read the Bible. But what he's talking about is there are these people who are reading it and they're listening to what it says, and he says, that's a good thing, but what I want you to do is be willing to take that next step and actually do something about what you're reading. And the reason why, he says, is because otherwise, if you don't, you're just fooling yourself. Now, what does he mean by that? What is the deception? What is it that we can be fooled about, and why is that knowing that we can be fooled in this way, motivation for us. And what he does is, this is where he launches into two illustrations. And let's look at the listener first. He says in verse 23, for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. So he says, here's what a listener does. First of all, he looks which again is the right thing. 
In fact, what he says is to emphasize that, again, he's not saying that it's wrong to read your Bible and listen. It's not wrong to come to church and listen and pay attention. But what he says about these people is they listen long enough to actually make a conclusion. They're actually looking thoughtfully and they're hearing something that they know connects and relates to them. And what he says is, a listener is somebody that he's talking about, looks into a mirror, and they see themselves as they really are. Now keep in mind, we're not talking here about the mirror that hangs in your bathroom. He's talking to people who had mirrors, but those mirrors were polished And so they weren't as easy to look. And again, he's emphasizing that it's a good thing. They're looking long enough. They're looking close enough to be able to see themselves as they really are. But the problem is after looking, after seeing, after understanding, they walk away. And he says the problem with walking away is they immediately forget what they saw. They may be heading home. They maybe head to school, to work, forget what they saw. They've accumulated knowledge, but they didn't take any steps to have that knowledge begin to have influence in the way that they behave, in the way that they act. And the deception that James is concerned about is that those people will think that something significant happened that's significant enough to be a good thing and it's okay for them to stop there. That they could be able to say, I read my Bible or I came to church, here's what I heard and here's how I think it connects to me, but they don't do anything about it. It's only knowledge and it is not left to life change. But look at what he says about the doer. He says, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. He says the doer also looks, but he uses a different word for look. It's a different kind of look. The listener looks and he sees and contemplates enough to actually recognize that There's maybe a decision he needs to make or there's maybe a change or maybe at least he's heard something that warrants him pursuing, asking questions, trying to gain a greater understanding. But it's only significant in the momentariness and then you walk away and forget. He says this is a look that is a step beyond that. This is actually bending down. This is actually getting a closer look. This is actually, I want to understand. It might be reading it a few times to make sure I'm getting it right. And he says, because that look is so significant, he cannot forget what he read or heard. It captures him. He can't forget about it. It's on his mind day and night. He can't sleep. He's constantly thinking about what he heard and the impact and influence in his life. And as a result, he says, you do what it says. You take steps. This is kind of like I felt often in sports. I'm a guy who if I missed a foul shot at the end of a game, I'd be taking foul shot after foul shot after foul shot after foul shot 
Or sometimes I'm like Kyle where you notice that this happened to Kyle. He talked about he read a poem, he heard something from Luke, and it so captured his attention that he couldn't get it out of his mind, and he actually thought about it. And in a moment when his daughter comes in to show him about uh, how she can do Spider-Man, there's something about so significant about what he heard that he follows throughs and actually begins to make adjustments in how he treats his children. He begins to say to himself, I need to cherish those moments. Now, why is this so important? Look at what he says again in verse 25. He says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, here's the phrase, then God will bless you for doing it. You see, what he wants is he wants these people to become more and more like Jesus because as we become more and more like Jesus, then we enter more and more into the flourishing life. The more I become like Jesus, the more blessed I am. And what he's saying is that the pathway to becoming like Jesus isn't through the way of the listener. The listener acquires all kinds of information. He can talk to you maybe about who Jesus was. He can talk to you maybe about the things that Jesus did but there's nothing that's going beyond them to cause him to say, but I don't treat my wife the way Jesus does. I don't work at my workplace the way Jesus does. Before I came here, I worked at a university. It was a Christian university where the students there were mostly followers of Jesus, and I would say to them, often I'd make a statement like, if Jesus' dorm responsibility was to clean the bathroom, what would the bathroom look like when he walked out? And what James is saying is when we become doers, then we become more and more like Jesus and the way, and that leads to a flourishing life. It enables me to become the best version of me. It enables me to have a flourishing life we all long for, which is joy and peace and contentment. The way of Jesus leads me to get meaning in my life beyond the paycheck, beyond my social standing, beyond my insecurities that I struggle with. This is not about some kind of duty. It's not about some kind of pointing the finger and saying, you need to do this because it's the right thing. He just desperately wants people to experience the life that Jesus is inviting us into as his followers. And he's saying, you can't have that life apart from a relationship with the Bible. You can't have that life if you're not reading the Bible. But he's concerned and saying, but I want you to understand, great, I want you to read it. But you can't, because you can't do what you do not know. You can't respond to what you have not heard. You can't put into practice what you have not been taught. But he wants desperately for us to understand that knowing something is not the same thing as putting into practice and changing. In fact, one of our values on the website, we have a value that we talk about as becoming, and this is what it says. It says, we believe the pathway to a flourishing life is becoming more like Jesus. So in reality, everything that we do as a church is designed to play a part in people becoming like Jesus. 
And so like James, we want to help everybody become a doer so that you can become more like Jesus and therefore experience the flourishing life that Jesus calls you into. But here's what's amazing about this. This is not something James talks about. It's not something James had an idea about. It's not something that Jesus offered to us. It's something that Jesus modeled for us. You see, Jesus himself was a doer. So when he faced temptation in the Bible, you know what he did? He quoted the verses that he had memorized. And he made at that moment the decisions that those verses called him to make. When one of his disciples asked him about his responsibilities to government, what he did was he responded in quoting what the Bible says about that. And he says, therefore, here's the choices that I make. When he faced the cross, he was reminded of the truths in the Bible. So he had perfect peace when in the crucifixion, Pilate didn't like his response and said to Jesus, don't you understand that I have the power to take your life or save your life? And Jesus says, no, according to the Bible, you only have power that God gives it to you. And he began to have the peace that that brought. In the garden, when he faced the reality of the agony that he awaited for him on the cross, he became a doer when he said to the Father, yet not my will, but yours. And even on the cross, on the cross, when he's having two guys are mocking him on the cross, and one of the guys says to the other guy, don't you understand that we're here and what we're getting now, we deserve and he doesn't. And then Jesus begins a conversation with this man. And based on what Jesus knew about what the Bible communicates, he said to that man, today you'll be with me in paradise. You see, listen to what Jesus himself said. He said this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock, though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against, that, beat against that house, it doesn't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand when the rains and floods come and when the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I was at a conference many years ago and I heard a man make a statement about the Bible related to this that really changed my life. In fact, it's sort of like I'm talking about, he said something and it so grabbed a hold of me that I, like Kyle said, have wanted this to be true for me about the Bible, that the Bible will never become stale for me. Here's what he said. He said, the Bible was not written to increase your knowledge, but to guide your conduct. It was about you understanding certain truths so that you could begin to alter your behavior and actions, alter your emotions, so that eventually as you do that, you enter more and more into the flourishing life that Jesus has for you. May all of us, regardless of our relationship with the Bible, 
begin to listen to what we hear. That's a good thing. But to commit, if we don't understand it, to maybe find somebody who might to say, I'm reading this in the Bible. I don't really understand what this means for me. I don't really understand how I'm supposed to respond to it. Or if we are people with a more familiar relationship with the Bible, may we always be a people who don't stop at the hearing and be so committed to apply it because we so much want to be like Jesus. We so much want to experience what God offers us in that relationship, commit to do it, but not only that, to build in community of people who I'm saying, this is what I need to work on. Will you please help me? Because in light of what this is saying, I need to make some radical changes in my life. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the reminder over the last couple of weeks in my own life. Like you heard Kyle say about his kids, it's easy for me who's been around the Bible for a long time, who's taught the Bible, who's studied the Bible, to lose sight of its power in changing my life and and making me more like Jesus. And probably more than any time in my life, I've been challenged over this last year here in Columbus that I desperately want to be more and more like you. And so I pray that you would help me to daily have a refreshed commitment, a joy, and a passion, a delight to be able to read my Bible and discover what it says about me in the areas of my life where I'm not like Jesus so that I can make those changes. And whether it's somebody like me today or somebody who's never even opened the Bible, might they be intrigued today to begin to wonder what it is that the Bible says and they begin to study and read it and interact with others who maybe know about it so that they can fully understand it so that they too can through what they read first become a follower of Jesus and then begin a lifelong journey of discovering more and more of what it says so that they become more and more like Jesus and experience that blessing that James has reminded us every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.